Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood Show. The Black, the Black, the Black, Black. Welcome to the Blackwood Show. I am Taylor Blackwood, and this is my show. I hope you guys are buying low and selling high. I had a good day today. You know, it was my first day back in the office. I was just on the road for the last week with my girlfriend. Um, We actually just hit six months. That was kind of fun. We went to Denver, and I checked on some clinics and uh, got to... uh, uh, be on the road for a little bit, which was fun. We celebrated STK on the big day. And then we went on to LA with one of her friends and had a blast. So kind of an interesting week that way. Maybe before I jump into the podcast itself, because today's going to be a little bit more of like amusing. I'll talk a little bit about my experience on that trip. Well, it was, first of all, it was a blast because of the company, right? But then looking at the actual cities, it was really cool to see both of them. Denver's a place where I have two practices and I really love Denver. It's a, I think, an underrated city, although it is obviously one of, one of the major metropolitan America, you know, areas in America and people love it. Obviously there's great skiing, all sorts of amenities, blah, blah, blah. So a great place, but it's really beautiful, especially this time of year. The weather was perfect. The food was great. It was, it was just really, really cool. Last time I was there was in the very middle of COVID. I might've even mentioned it on this podcast, but it was very locked down. Um, you know, there just wasn't a lot going on. I went with my best friend, actually, we stayed in this cool hotel, it was downtown. It was like a train station. And it was a, the hotel is actually like in this tr- old school train station. They converted. So it still looks like a train station inside, but it's like bars and restaurants and uh, the hotels off it. And it's like a big atrium looking down at that old school train station plaza where people would walk almost like a Grand Central type of thing, but smaller. So anyways, we stayed there and there's just nothing open. It was like, we went out looking for food at seven o'clock and there was like one pizza place that was open for takeout and that was it. So this time it was cool because you got to see the city back to normal. They're being, uh, I think, appropriately cautious, you know, like everyone's wearing masks, especially indoors, but they are allowing like restaurants to be open, which I think is kind of sensible. You know, people wear masks when they get up at tables uh, and actually most of the restaurants would have you a test that you don't have any uh, symptoms. You haven't been in contact with anyone with COVID and X, Y, Z. And, uh, it was an interesting thing to do that, you know, and do a test to it. I did get a rapid test myself because of contact tracing while I was there, which is kind of interesting. It was an interesting experience. And this is something I'm going to be critical of real quick. It's kind of ridiculous at this point, because we do have rapid testing that apparently is very accurate. So like a nose swab that can be analyzed in 15 minutes and the results can be told. But for some reason, this isn't widespread and I just don't get it. It was a big pain for me in a foreign city. I was just looking for a way to get a rapid test because someone told me that they had gotten it, who I was near. And I just wanted to be responsible and get contact tracing. So although I didn't have any symptoms. I still want to get tested to make sure that I wasn't an asymptomatic carrier spreading this thing. And on the road, especially, I didn't have any of my contacts or, not, you know, I'm not establishing any doctor, obviously, but there was just no way to get tested, basically. And it was kind of appalling, to be honest, at this stage in the crisis that we don't have better solutions in place for that. Because normally, you know, it, someone who's trying to do good like that, who would, would take hours out of their vacation to go get tested just in case and make sure they aren't spreading it around the city or something, they should make that really easy, you would think. Uh, and, you know, normally back here in town, I would just go to one of my clinics that has a test or I would go call in a favor with a friend who owns a rapid COVID test thing as an urgent care. But if I didn't have those plugins, you know, especially being in a foreign city, then I don't think I would have been able to get a test in time. I mean, most of the urgent cares didn't have a, uh, appointments available until Monday. And even then those weren't the rapid tests. And I just don't understand why this isn't more widespread. I think that would be a great use of government funds. And if you guys are curious, Google about rapid tests that they're pretty impressive. So 
I actually have one of the machines uh, in one of our clinics just, you know, to see it and to have it in sight in case one of our employees gets sick or something like that, or if one of us gets sick. And it's a pretty impressive little machine. And the results are apparently pretty accurate from my research. And I just don't understand why this isn't out there in, in big numbers. And especially for people like that or people like me on the road, you know, when I'm traveling, why can't I get a quick test like that and know the results and be a responsible uh, human being during all this, make sure I'm not spreading this thing. So anyways, because I you know own one of these medical practices, someone who used to work for us actually helped us out with getting a test real quick because she works somewhere that does rapid testing. And I was able to see that I don't have coronavirus. But if I didn't have those connections, I would have just been left in the dark. And I think that's a big complaint most people have, both about treatment, but also about the testing. You know, why isn't this more widespread? Why isn't this where we're spending a lot of our resources? Um, where I think things could be more open than they are today, and especially in places like California, which I also visited if they were instituting more of this rapid testing and things. So that was one experience I wanted to share with you guys. And I think we should all kind of collectively push if we are able to influence this in any way or just kind of have the group opinion that this rapid testing might be a good thing for them to roll out. Vegas, interestingly, I read they're looking at implementing it, which would be huge. So what they're looking at doing is when you check in a hotel, they would do one of these swabs on you. And okay, it kind of sucks. I don't know. Most of you have probably had a test at this point. I've had like four or five of the swabs plus some blood draws to look for antibodies and things like this. So I've gone through it a fair amount, probably more than most people. But I mean, most of us have probably had a swab at this point of the pandemic. And listen, it's not pleasant. It goes way up in your nasal cavity, which is well beyond what you think of as your traditional nose. It's up in your sinuses. And yeah, it kind of sucks, right? I personally don't find it to be the end of the world. Some people think it's like almost unbearable, but nonetheless, uh, one time I had to do it to myself at Walgreens. That was pretty unpleasant. But you know, the times I've had a clinician do it for me, like at Mayo here in Arizona, it's a great institution or one of my clinicians doing it for me this last week in Denver. It's just, it's, it's not something you would choose to do on a Friday night, but it's not something that you would run away from either. Let's be real. Right. So you get the swab and, and they analyze it real quick and you could have your results. Well, I think they need to make this way more widespread. So it go back to Vegas. So in Vegas, what they're talking about doing is doing one of these swabs. It's kind of unpleasant. Yeah. But then they get the results within 15 minutes. So while you're checking in the hotel, you would just wait 15 minutes and have this result. You would download an app that has your results and you'd have like almost like a green screen, like a check mark on your phone. Well, then they're saying you could go to restaurants, you could go to clubs, you could go to, um, you could go to the scene, you know, you could go out and maybe, maybe even do like shows and things like this again and not have to worry about it. Cause everyone who's in there would have this little green check mark. All of us would know that we tested negative within the last 24 hours. I think that would be a really cool thing for us to get more widespread and for us to push out there. So at any rate, that was an interesting little insight I had. Denver on the whole seems to be doing pretty well. You know, I went to this cool little street downtown called Larimer Street. If you're in the city, I highly recommend you check it out. It has kind of a, a bougie end that they've shut down so that people can open up restaurants into the street more and have more outdoor seating to be safer. And it's bustling, man. It's cool. There's string lights over the street and there's, you know, Halloween theme, theme things and pumpkin patches and all these people hanging out. Great restaurant serving awesome food. Big shout out to Rioja. It was a great restaurant I tried there. I highly recommend. It was a really cool experience going there. My girlfriend and I went a couple times. Then we grabbed those little lime scooters and zip around town. And we went over to the other side of Larimer Street one day during the day. It's like beer gardens and this big food hall that was really cool that had all sorts of different like barbecue and stuff like that. And there, a sweet spot, which if any of you guys know me, I got a huge sweet tooth. I eat all the sugar. I actually just had a Hagen dazs milkshake, milkshake right before this. Cookies and cream, in fact, with, with the whipped cream. Didn't skip that. <laughs> But anyway, so I got a big sweet tooth. So we had some fun there, ate a bunch of great food, had a great time while we're in Denver. But I wish that testing was more prevalent for everyone. I think that's something we need to look at it widening. 
So then I went on to LA. LA is very shut down uh, comparatively. It was very hot, you know, unseasonably hot for October. I think like, you know, 90 degrees is a peak in, during the day. So pretty hot. And the way they're doing is that all the restaurants are open, but only for outdoor seating. So the restaurants are not allowed to see you inside at all, even though the weather wasn't the best every day, whatever, you know, it's not the end of the world for some places, but also I feel for some other restaurants that just can't even open, you know, like one of my favorite sushi spots I've been to before there's called the Sugarfish, I think. And it's a, uh, uh, right. Just a couple roads off of uh, Rodeo drive there in Beverly Hills, really cool restaurant, but they don't really have an option to open up into the street. So they just aren't open kind of crazy at this point. Cause if you're a restaurant tour, you're just sinking, you know, and it, and it would be really difficult if I owned one of those restaurants to look at Arizona and to look at Denver, to look at all my surrounding States, to look across the United States and see all these restaurants that do get to open. And although they're having a really rough go of it financially, at least they get to, you know, help some of their patrons with things other than takeout. It was really interesting that way. Also, they're all wearing masks, walk around outside. Like it's it, even on Rodeo drive and stuff, you have to wear a mask. Uh, which I'm all for mask wearing. And if, if that makes you more comfortable, then great. I don't know that we should be shutting down restaurants or that it's so much better that we're eating on a sidewalk rather than right indoors with the windows open or something like that. I mean, I think they probably could be a little more fair about that with restaurants, in my opinion, in California. And to take a stronger stance, I'd be a proponent of uh, indoor seating being able to be available and when possible to really air out the, aerate the space or to come up with some special plan if you're extra worried about in California compared to other states. I think they're kind of getting into virtue signaling at this point. I mean, I heard that there's a proposal. I was listening to Joe Rogan before this, and there's a proposal that you'd have to put your mask on in between bites of food there in California. I think that's just people trying to control people. I mean, it's just getting out of control. At that point, why even let the restaurants be open if you're that worried about it, right? So anyway, so... That was an interesting little insight I thought I'd share with you guys on the coronavirus and my experience traveling because not too many people are getting on the road as much anymore. So I want to kind of share with you guys what I'm seeing out there. And, you know, I do pay attention to these things because that local culture does affect my business, you know, particularly so there's huge trickle down effects in the economy if certain places are doing worse than others. So anecdotally, someone told me, I probably should have checked this before I quoted on this podcast, but you know, don't take this to heart, but it might be true that half of all the unemployed people in the United States right now are in California. And I kind of believe that because they're so populous and they're still so shut down and they have such a huge service economy there that centers around restaurants, entertainment and things. I wouldn't be surprised if that statistic was true. So really tough go of it in California compared to Denver and compared to Arizona, I would say for, especially within the food service anyways. So anyways, moving on, this is something that kind of touches on the theme today. I kind of want to just do amusing, almost like a stream of consciousness about compromise and the state of politics today kind of got me thinking about this. I was watching these town hall meetings today. Um, I watched the Trump one so far, and then I watched most, uh, most of the Biden one and, and all these highlights throughout the day um, of these two town halls. So those of you who, who aren't familiar uh, Trump and Biden are the two presidential candidates. If you're really living, living under a rock or something, but anyway, so they're the two presidential candidates. Um, and they were supposed to do a debate that got canceled because Trump got coronavirus, which again, if you're living under the rock or don't listen to my podcast, you wouldn't know that. But anyway, so the debate got canceled. They wanted to do it virtually. Trump objected. So now instead of doing a debate, they did simultaneous town hall meetings on different channels with, uh, prospective voters and things like this. It was kind of interesting to watch. What I really got struck by with it, and I mentioned this on my previous podcast with the mess that was the first debate, which is widely regarded as just kind of a worthless exercise that no one really got anything of value out of that debate. And it's just everyone interrupting each other. No, not too many, I would say, great points were made. And it was very confusing and difficult to watch, to be honest. There wasn't a whole lot of decorum about it. There was a lot of interrupting, a lot of confusion, and it was 
very difficult to watch. And what I would say is that I wasn't real proud of our state of politics watching that. And I think I mentioned on my previous podcast that I just feel like this is such an opportunity for leadership and especially in these high offices, you know, two men competing for the presidency, one of which is the sitting president. You know, I, I would hope that they would be able to lead us in spirit and I think that lots of us can take great examples from great leadership in general, and politicians have the opportunity to be that great example. I mean, all throughout history, there's been leaders that have been revered by their people, right? I mean, certainly we have presidents that are largely revered in the history books and that you're, you know, kind of grow up learning to emulate or to respect and, and or at least to respect qualities of them and or at least their leadership prowess, right? And I feel like a lot of that's gone on the wayside. And I really do blame the attention span and specifically the shortening of the attention span due to social media and kind of our framing of things and all the negativity that flies around. I think it really has promoted this divisiveness that everyone talks about, which obviously all of us can sense and is very present. The country feels more divided than I can remember in my lifetime. <laughs> Not that I've had the longest lifetime. I'm 30 sitting here saying that, but still it's, you know, I hear older people, wise people who are in their sixties or even older saying that this is the most divisive they've ever seen it. And it's a scary thing. It's a weird time to be alive between the crisis that the whole world is facing in the coronavirus, you know, this pandemic that's unprecedented, uh, all the tensions that are going on socially, economically, and what it really underscores is core tenets that can serve you well in business. And specifically what I talk today is compromise. And what I fear is that so much of our culture, you know, whether that's through entertainment or politics or whatever, has made compromise kind of a dirty position that if you compromise at all, you're seen as weak. Or if you compromise at all, you're seen as ineffective, you know, that you can't get it done for your team, quote unquote. And there's this huge tribal instinct. But what I've seen in business is that compromise is not really a dirty thing that we can all succeed together as corny as that sounds, that if you're good in business, one plus one can equal three for you and counterparties, right? Your employees can do well, you can do well, your constituents can do well. I really like Jamie Dimon was talking about that recently in a round table and promoting that businesses consider all their constituents. And in that he included, of course, shareholders, employees, um, uh, you know, uh, so shareholders, employees, uh, vendors and things like this, but also like their communities and the, the countries they do business in and things like this, he sees that is their constituent. And it's kind of that uh, almost like authority that you can wield and that impact that you can make on these different communities through your business can be really multiplicative if you do a good job of it. And compromise is necessary for that. Listen, different people do have competing interests and no one wants to be totally marginalized. Uh, certainly when it comes to social rights and things like that, we've seen that pro prominently this year. And I think that we're, there, that that narrative is really a good conversation that's being had finally, right? But we're starting to see that people don't want to be marginalized clearly in that realm, right? But even like in business and things like that, people don't want to be marginalized. They don't want to feel like their points weren't listened to. They don't want to feel like they're unheard. They don't want to feel like they're treated unfairly. And that's a key thing that you ought to carry throughout your whole life, in my opinion. I think it's a great tenet to have. It's one that I really aspire to have is to treat everyone fairly, to do right by as many people as I can and to leave the world better than I found it, you know, to do as much good as I can and to impact people's lives in the best way possible. I think a big part of that requires compromise. And listen, you know, we, we all are on the wrong side of this at some points, right? Especially if you're a successful entrepreneur, you have a big personality and there's this virtue or there's this cycle of reinforcement that comes with having authority, uh, that comes with uh, being the big personality in the room. Listen, if you're a big, the big personality in the room and you affect change, and you kind of bulldoze some naysayers and you, ha and you happen to be right, or, you know, you studied and prepared and you knew to be right. And sure enough, you were, 
you implemented some strategy and it works, then you start making all this money and all these people adore you and they talk about how strong a leader you are and they talk about how you were right and they were wrong and blah, blah, blah. And you get this, all this like subconscious positive reinforcement and even like tangible reinforcements, like in the case of money and stuff like that and profitability that that you were successful because of that trait. You have to be careful about that because sometimes it's not necessarily correlative and sometimes you need to kind of ebb and flow with times. You know, sometimes it is good to be the big personality in the room, but oftentimes you want to compromise. You want to meet people in the middle or certainly at least make them feel like they were heard out and feel like they got a good deal, right? Um, so I think compromise is something we need to really bring to the forefront again. I think it's very clearly needed in politics that there's just very little to no compromise. There's dug in heels, uh, that leads to inaction. You know, you see that with like the relief stimulus package right now is just getting lobbied back and forth and, you know, the Republicans are blaming Pelosi and the Democrats are blaming Trump and them for not being generous enough. And everyone's pointing fingers. And what's behind that is millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of Americans with uncertainty, you know, lots of people unemployed, millions of people unemployed, wondering what they're going to do for the next paycheck, wondering if they're going to get to keep their home. And meanwhile, these people are fighting over this thing in Congress and in politics and stuff. And really, if, if people could maybe if the constituencies would allow more compromise and the politicians were rewarded for that, or just if the politicians led the way and did compromise, better outcomes would happen for those Americans. I'm really convinced of that. So I think compromise is something that has gone by the wayside. Now, who to blame for that? I mean, is it chicken or the egg? Is it the leadership that gets positively rewarded for not compromising? You know, that that we all pay attention to the big personality, the one who's brusque, the one who runs over his uh, competition and gets all the deals or whatever, right? Um, because we give that attention or the media stirs it up and we all focus on that or it gets rewarded in our culture, whatever, you know, are, are, are we responsible or is that personality? Who knows? But what we need is strong leadership to step up. And you all have a voice in this, no matter what level it is. You know, you have a, a responsibility if you're a leader, if you're an entrepreneur, the head of a company or something to lead the culture of your business. And I think compromise is a good thing to include in that within reason. I think that as individual citizens, that if we can show compromise to each other, if we can show compromise in debates, or if we can show compromise in the way that we deal with another uh, citizen or something like this, then then you can really incorporate that in your life. And I'd encourage you to incorporate it into your personal life. I think that that too often we get too uh, dug in in our personal relationships or a fight that you have with a significant other, a family member, or a friend or something. And just taking the time to be empathetic, to look at this through the other person's eyes and, and to consider what you could live with coming out of this, right? And to toughen up a little bit, to know that you aren't always going to get your way 100% of the time. And I think you'd find that you're much more effective. Maybe it doesn't make your version of utopia in the world, but at least things do improve under your watch and under your influence. I think that's an important thing uh, to know and an important tenant to hold, in my opinion. I think this goes into negotiations as well. You know, I do want to do some podcasts on negotiations. It's something that I won't claim to be like a classic expert at, right? Like I won't say that I'm the best at grinding the last cent in a deal that you, that no one knew you would find and you get that last, you know, couple dollars onto the contract that no one else was expecting, blah, blah, blah. I'm not really good at that. I was never a great poker player for that reason. You know, I'm not good at like bluffing and holding a hand that isn't real and getting more than maybe I was due or something like this. But I do think I'm a decent negotiator. I'm a fair negotiator. I like to think, although most people try to probably think they're a fair negotiator, their version of it. Right. But I think everyone tends to do well in my deals. At least I tend to look for way, you know, ways that I can live with deals and functionally move on to the next thing. 
instead of looking for that last cent and squeezing people out and things like this. And sometimes I find that like I'm rewarded that let's take an example, like me buying a car, right? So for me buying a car, I think there's a couple tenants that I use in negotiating. The first one is that I like to make a market whenever possible. So instead of just falling in love with one car and one color at one dealership, I'll make a market. I'll go and find a couple of similar cars from different dealerships. And I let those different dealerships know that they're going to be bidding against one another, know that I'm taking this to market. So they put their best foot forward. And then I get to be confident, hey, instead of me playing poker with this one guy and guessing what he's willing to go to, I just got three of them together, made them bid against each other. And that's awfully close to what any one of them would have gone down to, right? So I like to make a market whenever it's possible. I like to go into deals knowing what I can live with and then being happy when I get there. And if it goes past that, if I get more than I was expecting, brilliant. I can feel really good about the deal. But I like to kind of know what I can live with and what I can't. So like the price of a car that I would accept and the price of a car that I think would be a ripoff. And I kind of go into that with that framework in mind where I'm going to think about uh, negotiations. I like to buy time because I never like to feel bad after I make a deal and, and you know, pressure and haste is never a good thing. So whenever possible, I try to relieve time constraints on deals, although that's not always feasible in business. I like to do it when possible. It's like buying a car. Typically that's possible unless you're buying like a one of one or something like this, some rare collectible. You can almost always do that. So I like to buy time. So I make a market, I buy some time, I make sure that I have a framework for what I think is acceptable going into the deal, but then I'm not ashamed or afraid to make that deal. And I'm not that guy who walks away from the dealership, comes back the next day, spends three hours haggling over another hundred dollars, walks away, comes back the next day, spends another day haggling over 25 bucks and tells all of his friends about it over beers for the next six months or something like that. Every time someone looks at his car or compliments it or he launches unprovoked into that lecture during a dinner party, whatever we've all seen that person. Right. So I don't, I don't let each deal take disproportionate focus because sometimes spending time grinding on a deal isn't worth the extra grind, isn't worth the extra money you get out of it. Now, if you're negotiating to sell your company, you know, the biggest sale of your entire life, and you're talking about millions and millions, hopefully of dollars that you're negotiating that deal, maybe for some of you really successful entrepreneurs, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in a deal. And if you're running a big conglomerate, billions of dollars, like, yeah, that's worth taking your time and grinding it out. Each of those billions matter, right? But but for us buying a car, if it's something that size deal, I like to look at it proportionally in my life and not let negotiations take over. And that's part of compromise too, is you need to get out in the world and make some deals. You need to get something done. You need to make some mistakes a couple of times to understand how to compromise with other humans, to understand what it feels like to make a mistake, to understand what it feels like to get ripped off, which I certainly have been and, and, uh, understand what it's like to make a great deal and the reward that you get from that and the kind of the warm and fuzzies. And I think one problem that's missing with people compromising right now is that lots of us or lots of people in the United States, anyways, I should say, don't have to compromise too much in their daily life. They're kind of insulated from it. They don't have to strike too many deals. They aren't asked to bargain on things. They aren't asked to cooperate as much as they used to be before, largely because of the internet or because of all these different eases that we have in our life. You know, our life consists of a lot less negotiations for many, many Americans than it, than it did for, you know, their counterparts throughout history. So, I think it's an important thing to cooperate and it's important and compromises at the heart of that. And I think you shouldn't feel bad when you see someone else do well, even if it is a little bit at your quote unquote expense, because sometimes you can take some good feeling out of that as well. Maybe that's a charitable mindset that I have, but I think that really does serve you well as a leader in business as, and as an entrepreneur. And I think as Americans, we can all unite together around that. Although I know I do have some international listeners, hopefully this applies in your country as well. But I think we can all kind of unite around that message that compromise doesn't need to be a dirty word. And hopefully all of us can see that it's not a weakness. It's not 
a failure to compromise with uh, your opponent, quote unquote, or to, to compromise on a negotiation with the counterparty or whatever, right? You know, getting things done at the end of the day should be celebrated and finding common ground should be extra celebrated. If there's a way that everyone can win and you're a mode of force in finding that, then my hat goes off to you. And ultimately, one of the things that all of us need to keep in mind because there's always someone richer. There's always someone taller. There's always a bigger baller. So if you get off on, you know, saving a hundred bucks on a car, that's pennies to someone else. And if you get off on selling your company for an extra million dollars, you didn't think you were going to get that's pennies to Jeff Bezos. Right. And Jeff Bezos is going to be made look to look like a poor person one day by some guy who's going to come around and be an even more brilliant businessman. So there's nothing special in the history books about an exceptionally rich person. They had those in Rome. They had those in Greece. They had those at every stage of every economy of every uh, society throughout history, you will come and go as a rich guy and be forgotten more than likely, right? There's precious few rich people who are remembered just for being rich, but you can make an impact on the world. If you can make an impact on, on improving society, then you contribute at least in those history pages to something bigger than yourself, to something bigger than your pocketbook and to something bigger than your bank account. I think that's a really cool thing. And don't lose focus on that in your life. It's easy to get caught up in the grind. And I really have, uh, have experienced this personally, that as you find some financial success, you start to focus in more on the dollars in your bank account than your overall mission that you had. Think back when you were a kid, you had these high uh, aspirations and these different things that were, that almost were higher level than just dollars and cents. So maybe you fantasize about toys and a cool car or something when you're younger or whatever. But as you get older, those things matter less and less. And you start to think more about your legacy or the impact you have or the a difference you made in different people's lives you're responsible for. And no matter what size that takes on, you can take it, you can take it very seriously and make a bigger impact for the human society. And people remember leaders more than they remember how rich someone was. You know, even if you get told how rich someone is across the room or that they made their fortune doing X, you, you'll remember some tenant that that person takes the time to teach you or some way that they, they treated you or something like that. You know, um, some guy is going to remember what the guy in the sports car told him about, you know, his life story or, or some piece of advice he gave him instead of what color the car's interior was or something like this. Right. Because th those things make a bigger impact. Those human impacts make a bigger impact than things. So keep that in mind when you start to think about compromising, particularly in negotiating that maybe dollars and cents aren't the only thing in this world that matters. And that's a weird thing for me to tell you on a business podcast, but I really find it to be the truth. And listen, my podcast is supposed to be about you being kind of well-rounded too. I mean, I started out in the pilot episode and I need to get back to this more that, that I was going to give you advice on how to stay balanced as a business person, how to have some fun along the way and how to grow as a person, a well-rounded person, not just an entrepreneur. And I want to get back to those roots a little bit. It's something that I'm trying to push in myself and that I'm trying to improve the balance of because I felt a little bit out of whack about that, certainly during this 2020 crazy year, maybe even the years leading up to it that I started to put too much emphasis on financial success or something like that instead of other things that I want to value as well. And not that I don't value those things during it, but they just didn't get the, the appropriate weight that I want them to in my career and in my life. So that's my musing for today. So hopefully this was an interesting podcast for you guys. You got to learn a little bit about uh, my trip, got to learn a little bit about how different states are handing coronavirus lockdowns and kind of my musings on those. And then you get to think a little bit about compromise. I think it's going to be top of mind through the next month as we deal with this election and the fallout from the election and everything else. Just keep it top of mind that the world is going to keep ticking, you know, and, and we're, and hopefully we can keep pushing towards improvement and, don't lose sight that you can't change who the president is single-handedly, but you can make an impact in your little world and the people who, who you influence. And all of us influence people every day, whether you realize it or not. So try to keep that top of mind in the coming months. 
Anyways, I can always be reached on my Instagram at the Blackwood Show. Uh, my Gmail is theblackwoodshow at gmail.com. So throw me some listener questions. I got to catch up on some of those and do a, an episode on listener questions soon. So I'm going to probably be at that over the weekend or so and t- toss you guys an episode about that. But anyways, I really appreciate you guys taking the time. I know there's tons of ways to entertain yourself, not the least of which are a bunch of great podcasts. So thank you for taking the time to listen to Little Old Me. Talk to y'all soon. <laughs>